0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace
1: and peace to you.
0: Our reading this morning is Genesis 37. It can be found on page 41. Genesis 37. It's rather long but it's full of drama and intrigue. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out of the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves "'Gathered around mine and bowed down to it. "'His brothers said to him, "'Do you intend to reign over us? "'Will you actually rule us?' "'And they hated him all the more for it "'because of his dream and what he had said. "'Then he had another dream "'and he told it to his brothers. "'Listen,' he said, "'I had another dream.' And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him But his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Are they moved on from here? The man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, "'Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns "'and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. "'Then we'll see what comes of his dreams.' "'When Reuben heard this, "'he tried to rescue him from their hands. "'Let's not take his life,' he said. "'Don't shed any blood. "'Throw him into the cistern here in the desert.' But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him and and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came and comforted him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave of my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of
1: the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we cry to you that you would be the one who would redeem and turn around our stories, even when it looks like everything is crashing down all around us. We praise you that you are the one who can redeem and change our stories. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So to begin with, I'd like anyone who can reach out to a Bible to pick one up and open it on any page and then grab a single page like it like this hold it with your fingers this is a message for those of you who feel like your life is falling apart our life is like a book we only live in the page that we're on at the moment and that page can be absolutely overwhelming but god sees the whole book He sees a future where every evil is turned to good, a future beyond our wildest dreams. This is the message of Joseph's story today. We see the page, and God sees the book. Let's say that together. We see the page, God sees the book. So let's let go of these pages now, and if you'd like, you can turn to Genesis 37 Some of the early pages of Joseph's story. We see three things here. First, we see the page, which is that Joseph's life had utterly fallen apart. Second, we see the book. God has wonderful chapters ahead that Joseph does not yet know about. And three, Joseph points us to Jesus. If Jesus is the hero of our story, the best chapters are yet yet to come for us too. So, to begin with the page of the present, which for Joseph is the page of ripped-up dreams. Joseph's life had utterly fallen apart. We must really try and put ourselves in Joseph's shoes here. Or should they say we should try and put ourselves in his uh, Technicolor dream coat? How would we feel if we were him? Here he is, age 17. Does anyone here remember being 17? When I was 17, I had such terribly, all sorts of things going on, but I also had such terribly dark images of who God was. I wish I could go back and speak to my 17-year-old self and say, Jesus is so much better than you thought he was at that point. Well, Joseph seemed to be doing relatively okay up to age 17, it seems, but we must really try to enter into his perspective without knowing what comes next. He didn't know that yet. Think of the despair that he must be feeling. His life is falling apart. His brothers are plotting to kill him because they hate him so much. Talk about family conflict. They took his special robe away. They threw him into a hole. They cared for him so little that even as he cried in pain, because that surely hurt going into a hole, and he's crying out for help, they simply sat by and just had a snack. That's how little remorse they felt then they even saw an opportunity to make money out of him so for 20 pieces of silver they sold him into a life of slavery and misery think of how joseph must have felt at this point he'd lost everything he'd lost his family his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him his father who thought he was dead he lost his freedom to greedy slave traders He'd lost his inheritance, his identity, his purpose, his reputation. He had lost his future, his friends, all the hopes and dreams that he thought he had. Joseph the dreamer had become Joseph the hopeless. Everyone seemed to hate him now. His life had fallen apart. Think of poor 17-year-old Joseph walking along, shackled by those slave traders, bruised by his brother's brutality, walking away from his homeland. What must he have been thinking? He had no idea about the future that was to come. He was in the pits, the literally pits of despair. Joseph only sees that current page right now. This is the page where all his life, all his life and all his dreams are ripped apart. But still, all along, God sees the whole book. More than that, Joseph realized his own actions had been part of making this happen. God had given him amazing dreams. Instead of treasuring them in his heart, he had boasted brashly about them and angered his brothers even more. Maybe he's wondering, can God still have a plan for me after I have been so arrogant and unwise? That's one question that often haunts me too. I'm so full of sin and compromise and failure. How can God still have a plan for me? Surely I've disqualified myself. We might have been able to believe God's plan if we were an innocent victim, let's say. But what about when we have contributed to our own plight by our own wrongdoing? This question really nags at me. But here we see Joseph as a victim of his brother's cruelty, but also of his arrogance and foolishness. And yet God still has a plan for him. Perhaps you feel like Joseph here today. You feel like your whole life is falling apart around you. And you fear that it's all your fault. And yet, while Joseph only sees this current page, God sees the whole book God was about to weave all of Joseph's sorrow, pain, and loss, even his sinful failures, into a wonderful story, even more beautiful than that robe of many colors he had. Yet, all the while, Joseph knows none of this. All he sees right now is the hopelessness and the despair. And maybe we can relate to that. That moves us on to point two the book Better Than Dreams. God has wonderful chapters ahead that Joseph doesn't even know about yet. We've all been looking at this from Joseph's first-person, time-bound perspective. Now let's change our view. Let's zoom out as wide as we can. Let's zoom out so far that we can see all eternity. Let's take the perspective of the one who is infinitely wise. This is God's story. This is all of God's book. None of this Joseph can see or understand right now. Age 17, sold into horrible slavery. But all that, just the page. God is the master story writer. He invented the whole idea of epic stories. He invented things like Lord of the Rings and everything like that. Every page is part of the story. Are you the sort of person who likes to look at the ends of books in advance before reading the start? Well, who here likes Harry Potter? Anyone like Harry Potter? A few people. So when Harry Potter, the Order of the Phoenix came out, I was 10 years old, and I wanted to read the end first, so I had a look, and then just told everyone else to annoy them. I don't know if anyone else has done that. But imagine if Joseph could have viewed the end of his own story 15 chapters on. He would see himself in charge of all the storehouses of Egypt, saving many people from famine, and saying this to his brothers in Genesis fifty twenty, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. His brothers had meant nothing but evil to him. Yet God had meant nothing but good. He's such a good storyteller that he can even weave all the evil intentions to turn out good for Joseph. Before that point, there's lots of bumps in the road coming up. I won't give any spoilers now, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. Like the Pilgrim's Progress, there's detours, there's challenges on all the way before coming to the end, coming to the homeland. It's not a steady ascent, but a long and winding road. But a road it is, and a road that leads to God's good future. The essential point here is that our perspective is terribly limited we cannot even see to the end of the sentence most of the time let alone the page let alone the end of the story yet just because we don't understand something right now doesn't mean that god doesn't know what he is doing god speaks jesus speaks tenderly of us as technia the greek for little children he calls his followers little children at the last supper in john 13:33 It's a fitting, powerful analogy. We are loved and cared for as little children. A little child doesn't understand why they say they have to be taken to hospital when they're feeling terrible. Maybe they assume their parents hate them and want to make them feel sad by taking them to hospital. But that's only because they don't understand that bigger picture. And we, compared to God, are just like little children. Think like a one-year-old in terms of understanding We don't understand any of that bigger picture. We can't even read the book yet. So no wonder we can't understand atomic physics. But little children can know one thing that's even better than adults. And that is that they are loved deeply and wondrously. And when they feel loved, they know that they can entrust themselves to their parents or carers with absolute trust. In the same way, all of us are endowed with a wonderful ability to give and receive love from one another and from God. And when we feel as loved by God as a father loves his little daughter or as loved as a mother loves her little child, then we can trust the rest to God. He will protect us and care for us with ferocious zeal. Joseph, like a little child, doesn't see beyond this horrible page of his story. But he is going to gradually learn to trust more in God as the next pages unfold. Because what's coming up in God's great book is absolutely wonderful. But does this apply to us? This is where we come in. Last point, if Jesus is the hero of our story, the best chapters are yet to come for us as well. Think about Joseph's story. It's a lot like Jesus. He was rejected by his brethren out of envy. He was plotted against. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver by Judas. And then the whole story turns around at the resurrection. When you're reading the Gospels, the phrase that really stands out is, they crucified him. Three words in English, An unfathomable pit of horror and desolation, isolation and agony for our Lord Jesus. This page of his story made him sweat drops of blood in anticipation. On that page, it seemed like all was lost forever. But oh, how glad we are that the story didn't end there. Jesus' cosmic, glorious book of everything involved him being raised to life forever. Then the church is born at Pentecost and interacts into the first millennium, the Middle Ages, the Reformation, dawn of the modern era through to the turn of the millennium, all the way to 2022. His book contains the page of every one of our lives. Not individual books of one per person, but an inconce- inconceivably intricate and imaginative epic of every human being's story all woven together. Every plot, he- every plot thread, every connection, every hint being written by God, the master storyteller, into a story with a happier ending than any other. And the hero who turns it all around is Jesus Christ. Then to reassure the cynics amongst us, he gives us unshakable promises like this one, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a sure promise for everyone who makes the Lord Jesus Christ the hero of their story. He will work all things, that means all, all things, the good and the bad, for good. He can work every evil intention and turn it all for good. He can even redeem our failures and our mistakes and our sin and bring a brighter future out of all of them. It doesn't justify evil, but far from that, it completely obliterates it by turning it into something good. God has already written these better chapters of your life, All the powers of hell could conspire a plot together and vent all their wrath on you, yet God could still turn it all into good. His narrative construction is infinitely wise and overwhelmingly beautiful and tenderly loving. What's the end of the story? Well, here's a glimpse from the second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. This is the end of all of our story. God sees the book. What a glorious end. The more that we, like little children, know for sure of the good and the loving intentions of Jesus towards us, the more we can throw ourselves completely onto him, trusting in his unwavering love, the more we can take him to be our hero, our story's end, our everything. Everything. The more we can see how at the end, when we look back on all of our lives in that new creation, we can all cry out, it was worth it. All those pages of sadness, they were all worth it in the end. It was all worth it in the end. Jesus says in this last chapter of the whole Bible, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Do we let Jesus come into our story to be the hero, to be our beginning and our end? And then, do we dare to believe that no matter how bad the present page, there are better chapters for all of us that he has written ahead? And as the band comes up now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the master storyteller who can weave every thread in our life, who can weave every horrible experience, every horrible page, all dark words, all horrible sentences. You can weave them all together into such a good picture. Today, we choose to trust in you that you have a better future ahead of us, even if right now looks impossible, even if right now is so unbearable. We believe that you have a better future for us. And we say thank you for weaving our stories into your beautiful eternal story where we will all be with you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast.
0: For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website